What's up, folks? This is the Investor Weekly News Update for May 1st. We're going to be talking about what Blackstone is doing amidst all the economic uncertainty out there. We're talking GDP numbers, and we're also going to be talking a little bit about what you should be doing out there. The first article today that we're going to be going into is from Yahoo Finance. And I, sometimes I, I don't really like Yahoo Finance or these big mainstream things, but for articles like this, where it's like GDP growth, what did the Fed say, unemployment numbers, they make it easy. They make it really easy for us because they really dumb it down for the average consumer, which is great when you read so many stuff. And for once, you just want to read something at a two grade, second grade level. Yahoo Finance reports that U.S. economy grows at 1.1% in quarter one, slower than expected. Some will see this as bad, but I see this as really good, right? Because for once, we're starting to see the Fed's raising interest rates actually impact the economy. The big ones, the biggest one is unemployment, which unemployment is still really all-time lows. The next big indicator would be inflation, and that has come down about half of where it's been. And I would say like the third big lever or the big indicator would be GDP growth, which, yeah, you could probably say it's come down more than half of where it's been at normally hovering around two to three percent. I think this is good. This is a good thing to happen. And you're going to start to see a lot more articles in the next year saying slowing growth. The whole thing is still growing. This is exactly what the Fed wants to engineer is they want to pull back on the growth so you don't have these big swings like in 2008, 2009, and like this. Uh, 2020 was all because of the pandemic, but you don't want to see these big push-ups in 4, 6, 6.7%, 2021, quarter one, quarter two. You don't want to see that type of stuff and you don't want to see these dips. Although I would say 2022, quarter one and two, that was a lot of due to you had that pent-up demand and then that slack coming back to earth there, which is, I would say, present in many economic cycles out there many businesses it's pretty prevalent and i think the one of the biggest ones is after the during the pandemic nobody could do discretionary spending like going to hotels or airbnbs or vacation stuff and shortly after once the world started to open up 2020 2021 everybody everybody wanted to go right because they had all this money saved up and they still do. But after a year of that went by, things people got it out of their system and there was a bit of a snapback. And I think we're getting back to normal status quo. You throw a rock out in the water, there's going to be ripples and waves, but it'll eventually come back. Um, the Bureau of Economic Analysis advanced estimate for the first quarter GDP slowed we at an annual pace of 1.1%, slower than the consensus forecast. Which is good, I think. Like I said, the survey by Bloomberg had the U.S. economy growing at an annual pace of 1.9 during the first three months of 2022 was the expectation. Um, a slowdown in single-family construction also propelled the decline in growth rate, and that's that's a sad one because the country needs more housing, especially workforce housing, which is why we invest in that stuff, and just for developers and people building stuff or just people getting into business in general, it's relatively uncertain times. It's hard to get bank financing within the capital markets. So it's hard to kick off your project, even though the fundamental need is still there. Meanwhile, growth in consumer spending in goods and services helped keep analyzed growth positive for the quarter. 
motor vehicles and parts led goods spending, while healthcare and food services and accommodations led services. Overall, the slowdown in GDP is in line with other recent economic data and weakening consumer confidence about the economy. Most of the growth would come from early part of the first quarter, says U.S. economist Michael Pierce. He's saying the first quarter was likely the high water mark for economic growth, says Oxford Economics. The research team sees the marginal GDP growth in the second quarter, followed by a recession in back half of 2023. Growth risks are tilted decidedly to the downside as the drivers that buoyed activity at the start of 2023 lose steam while the crunch from tighter credit conditions could be more severe than we've already factored into our focus. I'll break that down, folks. 2024 is going to be a bit of a recession as real estate investors who are impacted directly by interest rates. We are on the leading edge of that so that when the recession does come next year, I think we'll be fine and things will bounce back to what we should be investing anyway, really basic investments such as workforce housing. That said, oh boy, if you've got money in the stock market, I'd probably take it out. That said, I'm not a financial planner who gets paid when you buy that stuff. But then again, I personally don't really have, I don't have any paper assets. Yeah, I don't have any. I put my money where my mouth is, I guess. A multifamily Dive says apartment going in cap rate expansion slowly. So across the board, in case you didn't notice, pretty much all assets came down about 10-15% off the highs of 2022. You probably didn't notice it because it doesn't really matter until you sell. And that's the beauty of real estate. You stay in business and you can positive cash flow. Although, you know, it's hard right now because expenses have gone up because that inflation hit, hurts everybody, right? When you have inflation that goes up almost 10% for a couple of years, that eats into your bottom line. Real estate, there's things you can do, cut expenses, you can lay off staff, you can hold off on doing CapEx. There's things you can do, right? Within the slow moving world of real estate operation to stay in business. And that's really all it is. That said, like when the stock market starts coming down, that's not the time to be redeploying your money into hard assets because it finally got it. Take the hint now. Um, But a new report from commercial real estate services firm CBRE indicates that the market may be stabilizing at least for prime assets. So the better assets. So those are the more class A, class B, and the lower end, class C and below. Saying rent growth expectations have declined over the past two quarters, although still growing. And now we start, we're starting to see some of that rent increases starting to come back up after a quarter or two of stagnancy or what was really happening. The rent skyrocketed past after the recession in 2021, and then it came back to earth and held there. If you guys want to read more into this, check out my long article that I wrote at, and I actually wrote the down. I didn't use chat GPT or some nonsense like that to just regurgitate stuff from previous mainstream stuff. Um, you guys can go check out that article at simple passive cash flow slash recession 2024. So they're saying gateway markets like Boston and New York City, which fell behind other metros earlier in the pandemic due to outmigration, now have higher rent growth expectations. CBRE said the average for rent growth assumption is 3%. So see, I think I was on this bandwagon. I was like, everybody was like beating up these major markets. Eventually people come back to where places want to be like New York, Boston, even San Francisco. I don't really care for it out there too much, especially as an investor. CBR said the average rent growth assumption is 3%. And we typically will use a 2 to 
percent rent escalator and some are B class assets. Among the 15 major markets, Austin, Texas had the lower risk requirements on an underwriting basics. Uh, underwriting assumptions for prime multifamily assets will likely peak in the second half of 2023. Additionally, it said stabilization in interest rates should lead to an increase in activity for buyers, sellers, and lenders. You're also seeing the Fed increasing rates, and we'll see a rate hike probably on May 5th, and maybe one more after that. I'm pretty, I'm thinking there'll be one more in June. But even though they keep raising the rates, the price at the pump, as I say, or the price, the interest rates that people pay for the mortgages that we get for our commercial loans have somewhat decreased or had held steady at the time. So it's creating a bit of a selling window for people who are possibly in trouble. We've fortified our assets with additional capital and have a clear path forward to kind of make it out of this, this trough. And that's the key, right? Like you don't really want to sell in the trough right now. We have, there are a couple assets I'm thinking that we're almost done with the business plan. And it's a bummer that prices came down artificially 10 to 15% just due to market cycle that it sucks to sell right now, but we'll probably hold off a little bit longer to the market recovers and then sell it at that point. But I think you're going to start to see what deals are running low on money and what deals are, are, are is a strategic sell by the operator. You know, so some people are on, have some uncertainty out there. Not a lot of them are in commercial real estate and institutional assets. They still understand the fundamentals in a lot of these assets. But still, the end with the quote here, and nobody knows what those will be until the Fed stops raising rates. Once you get stability and once the Fed says they're going to take their foot off the gas, you can get an understanding on where the interest rates are going. That said, the Fed is pretty transparent, I think, in what they say. They may be a little cryptic. However, you know, if you look at what they've been doing the last several years, even longer than that, they say exactly what they're going to do, even though they might have to contend with some kind of isolated incidents like SVB, First Republic, where the, the, the generally uneducated masses really get freaked out about that type of stuff. They have to manage that hysteric mindset of the general public but what they personally do but they still raise amidst that that mini panic they still raise rates through it if you guys are interested in joining our insider club getting access to the deals that we're seeing you can go to simple passive slash club just complete the quick little form you know, the whole thing is we want to know who we are we're not a group of strangers especially if you're coming out to our June retreat in San Diego, I believe that's June 23rd to 25th, would like to see a lot of investors that we haven't met before. You know, one day of education to catch you guys up to where everybody's at, because I get it. There's a whole bunch of stuff, a whole lot of different stuff, I think, than what most people talk about financially. You meet myself, meet some of the other investors, and we'll have you out there. Well, ha yeah, it's a full day Saturday and then Sunday is half a day. The whole point is get you guys out of there Sunday afternoon so you can go home, be with your family that evening. And also so I don't have to buy you guys dinner too. It's a little bit less expensive than the Hawaii retreat and it's a little bit shorter and abbreviated. So I think we're, we took in some feedback from last events and we're playing around with the format, right? Making it a little bit more accessible. I guess speaking for myself and our team, we really want to get to know you guys better than just a person on the investor list.
So if you guys want access to that, go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash club. All right. Now we're talking about the new Blackstone fund, which really upset me. Uh, So Blackstone, previously, they came up with this half a billion dollar fund. Or no, it was a 500. No, it was a half a billion dollar fund. It was 500 million. And they defaulted on it because the pandemic happened and fundamentals for that portfolio change, probably their occupancy change. I believe a lot of it was office space. And so they retraded with the lender because they're Blackstone and they can throw their weight around. They essentially lost money for investors likely on that deal. And as somebody who works with real investors' money and actually puts my neck out there and meets you guys and puts some personal skin in the game, myself too... I get a little disgusted when I see Blackstone defaulting on that and handing back the keys and giving up. And then what do they do the next day or several months later? But they make the next biggest fund, real estate fund ever. And that's what we're talking about in this article. And what are they investing in? Distressed real estate assets, this exact stuff they defaulted on. The new fund will likely target logistics, rental housing, lab offices, and data center properties. Even though the borrowing conditions remain a cat challenge, there are still opportunities to obtain capital from projects in the current climate because less debt is available. The interest rates got a little worse. I would say probably a lot worse, but in reality, the interest rates got a slightly worse. But what really got hit is like the loan to values where previously you could get 70 to 75% loan to value. Nowadays, you're looking at like half to 65%. And that for investors who are looking for equity growth, you're not going to get it without that higher amount of leverage. And that's the market that we're in today. If you're talking to a mortgage lender and he's giving you this runaround on, oh, the rates are the same and I can give you a 5%, 6% rate, you because you listen to this podcast and this channel, or if you listen to the YouTube channel, you guys can see all the slides too and read all these articles yourself. That's a cool thing about the video. But you'll know that the mortgage lender is just basically pumping up your origination fee to buy down the rate, but also they might be lowering that loan to value. So you have to bring in much more uh, cash out of pocket, which is not good for if you're a sophisticated investor. They continue to say, as we look forward, we think that it's a well positioned because we're we're in a world now where supply has already short in our sector and now declining further. And it's probably going to decline even more when what's happening with the regional banks. Our view is that if we continue to deliver performance, then flows will follow. And that really remains our focus today. So Blackstone is going to keep doing what they're doing because the fundamentals are so strong on these real estate assets. Yet they're Blackstones. They can do what they want. If you want to invest with them, fine. You're not going to get the returns that you're looking for because they're an institutional investor on the publicly traded markets where they can essentially conjure up. I think they're raising $30 billion. So that's all lazy retirement money from the open public markets. We thought about going IPO and falling down this track and essentially getting unlimited amounts of, I'll say it, dumb investor money from the masses, from the lazy retirement funds. You don't have to really pay your investors any anything, but we like the smaller feel. We like we don't really want to answer to shareholders where the shareholders are looking more for that short term. That's bad about, I think, that shareholder model. Like the shareholders, they want now. They want the quarterly distribution where that 
likely is not the best thing for the asset. Right now, we're trying to be conservative because we know what's going to be happening in 2024. And we just want to be holding cash and be in a good position. So when, I guess some people would call it when the tides leave, because the number one thing on real estate, in my opinion, is holding on to the asset. That's the number one goal. And then getting distributions. The big thing is doing the business plan and holding on to the asset, capital preservation. So that the past article alludes to this next article by ALM, multifamily turns to alternative financing in a down market. So what's been happening is, and this started to happen a year, maybe even two years ago, where the big lenders, Fannie Mae, Freddie Max, you know, they pulled back on some of the lending terms as interest rates started, the Fed interest rates started to go up. And then I would say about a year ago, we started to actually see this with some of the small regional banks, community banks, not really closing up shop. Nobody really closed up shop. You can still get loans, but the terms become really undesirable for borrowers. And now it's gotten even worse. And this need for liquidity for people who own these assets, it's everybody's dealing with this. If you're not, People are probably behind investors' backs, just bringing in outside rescue capital that's just jumping the common equity stack without passive investors knowing, which I think is wrong. But I think technically, the way people write a lot of their PPMs, you can bring in outside investors in that fashion without letting people know. Not something I do, but some people prefer that than letting their investors know or anything other than everything is great. We're going to hit all marks and we're, everything's fine and dandy. I think everybody knows what the state of the economy we're going in at this point. The future is bright, but you just have to get it through this stagflation period, which again is your income, which is your rents, have remained a little bit steady. It's still growing, but the big thing is expenses have gone way, way up. So imagine if you're running a business and one line item just for some reason skyrocketed on you, like your labor doubled. Or for us, like insurance has doubled or tripled in most assets. Why? Inflation. Hey guys, inflation. This is how it impacts people like us. Not a problem. You just buckle down and continue to rehab the asset and you force appreciate the income. And this is why you have reserves, but you get through the this down business cycle. And like I said, so some, I could, I digress quite a bit. So some people, they need money, right? They need, they might need half a million, 300,000, especially if their bank is giving them a hard time, right? Hey, the bank is the biggest partner in the game and they hold the biggest stick. They may say, we want you guys to put an extra additional $500,000 in the bank, right? So that we can feel safe. Of course, there's some negotiation in that. Where is that $500,000 going to come from? Now, some operators may opt to go to a institutional financing option like a bank or a family office or some other funding source other than their capital stack. And this is where multifamily operators or even all operators, like we even thought about looking at good brick and mortar businesses because the opportunity is here. The banks, the traditional funding sources have pulled back and The essence of an entrepreneur is recognizing needs and then going in and fulfilling those needs as best as possible. And that's why entrepreneurs or certain entrepreneurs make a lot of money because they fulfill those needs in the market. And this is a definite need. Like people have a need for liquidity 
and are willing to pay higher than normal rates. And part of the dynamic is the supply has gone away because that supply has normally been taken up by those traditional bank financing sources. Business Now reports that investors want recent multifamily product, but there soon may not be much to offer. Investor appetite is strong for Houston multifamily product, but an unfavorable seller's market combined with a dramatic slowdown in new construction means buyer demand may outpace supply. So this is, again, has to do with all that capital market talk. New developers can't really get financing, so they're just sitting there and they like to play in the dirt and start to build stuff, but you don't get your financing lined up or you're, you're knowing, you're thinking that things are going to change in the next six months, three months, one year. That's it, it's holding a lot of people at the gates right now, which I think is the exact opportunity why now is the time to go so you can get building, get something built in the next year and a half, two years, so that when everybody else who the masses started building in a year, two years from now, you can be out there in front of the competition. And again, supply demand, right? If there's less supply at that point and you're the only one to market, you're going to get the best pricing. So investors want a piece of Houston multifamily market, particularly with significant rent growth for the past few years. He expects buyer interest to remain high despite limited liquidity. But for most of those deals happen in the first quarter. Okay, so Candia's Houston office closed 183 multifamily sales in 2022. This is just one firm uh, accumulated deal flow of 5.6 billion, a record for that office. But most of those deals happened in the first half of the year of 2022. The second half of the year is when we shut off our acquisitions too, by the way. And he says, no one wants to sell in this market unless they have to. So 2023 will be a slower year due to scarcity of product and capital. And the reason why people don't want to sell in this market is because on the buyers, the buyers aren't there. So the demand isn't there. And it's not there because of people not really needing to live in apartments or buy these assets. It's not there because the interest rates have come way up. And and a lot of people have the expectation that it will eventually go back down within the next year or so. Still, nobody knows. The report said deal flow slowed during the last two quarters of the year, but investor appetite for Houston multifamily product shows no signs of retreating. They said they signed over 300 confidentiality agreements from interested parties for the two garden-style suburban offering in particular. So they had two deals they put out there and 300 people signed up to view it. And they end with this quote, with loans and equity signlines, we adjust to this new interest rate environment. The larger the transaction, the less interest there is. So right now, it's a need-based transaction. You would not want to sell anything into this market. You do everything possible so you can avoid that situation just because we've seen such a backup in value. Rent growth turned positive again this month, according to Apartment List. Its national rent index increased by 0.5% over the course of March. Year-over-year rent growth stood at 2.6%, the lowest since April 2021. So Curry said the rent growth in Houston may vary by type of product, so saying the class A is holding steady or growing while the workforce housing may compress more. This is again, maybe a, for us, it's the big reason we stay away from class C is just as operators, man, are the delinquencies high and that's just the pain in the butt factor, right? For us, it's just so difficult dealing with those types of tenants. A lot of times you may have like 
more than 10, 20% of your tenants just not paying. And that's just the status quo, sadly. And which is why we're moving more towards the higher B class and then A class type of assets. So you're saying Houston is no longer in the top 10 markets for units under construction, uh, which is good if you're going to build something there. Most of those projects were capitalized before interest rates started moving the way they did. For the past eight months, not many projects have been initialized. So 2024 and 2025 will be low delivery years, which could mean that rents could grow dramatically in that point. And we'll end with this. Um, Investors submitted a question. We urge you guys to submit questions at team at passivecashflow.com. And that question was, do you anticipate any of this commercial real estate debacle that is about to hit us affect the PEP fund? Wondering how the macro conditions affect the PEP fund. First of all, and I would caution against getting your news from YouTube. I focus in a lot of industry newsletters that will go to businesses that help advise those businesses. You got to be careful about those business to consumer type of sources. I guess in a way, my whole channel is similar, but try to not color it with some kind of doom and gloom theory. A lot of those guys, they're just trying to sell you on some buying gold. So they'll try and freak you out. So you buy gold and work, make you worry about a zombie apocalypse or using words like debacle. I think, in my opinion, the Fed's got everything under control relatively. It may, it may tilt a little bit south with these interest rates maybe was a little bit too much. But overall, I think the, the whole thing is to avoid a debacle or crisis, right? By letting this go on too long, this inflation to run for two or three years straight of almost double digit inflation that you just can't run the market cycles or just go crazy. And as business owners, there's no certainty there. So the PEP fund that we created last year, we're paying those monthly distributions for everybody is meant to fill that void of the, the bank financing for operators and provide that short-term gap funding. Short-term gap funding is anywhere from a few months to, I would say, under two to three years. Three years is getting pretty pretty long. At that point, somebody better get from permanent financing. Somebody was asking me for four years. I was like, no way. Can't, no, I'm not going to do that, buddy. Go get yourself a re- uh, permanent loan from a bank. But there's a big need from that, which is why we created the PEP fund, so we can get better than historical returns on that. And it's also then the preferred equity facet. Something I just, if you didn't realize, back in 2008, when Warren Buffett took out a share of Goldman Sachs, was it Goldman Sachs? I think it was actually. He went in with a preferred equity there to hedge himself. And that's exactly what we're doing. I got this idea from a lot of high net worth institutional investors. You know, why a lot of investors have asked me, like, why do these supposedly high net worth, sophisticated investors go after this pref equity? You don't make as much. The upside's not there. But for them, it's more about certainty, especially in these times, right? There's a time to go after common equity and get after it. And there's a time and a certain place in your asset allocation mix for preferred equity. You may do both at any one time, right? Like you're saying, some people, they're under a million or $2 million net worth. They have to go for more common equity type of returns and they have to take on a little bit more risk for people above. And if you have $4 million net worth and you're making 12% on that's shoot, that's half a million dollars of passive income right there. You don't really need equity growth. You just, you're there already. You're at end game. So, you know, therefore, for equity is a great option at that point. But yeah, that's a, if you're worried about the future, that's exactly. And you have that 
mental like worry and a lot that's exactly why you would go into the preferred equity portion of the capital stack so you can be on top of the common equity should anything happen. I think the worst move would be, and I'm talking to the people under $2 million net worth, is to just sit on cash and do nothing and have inflation beat you up. And at the at even more, I would, I'm taking a gamble here, but I would say there's a recession next year, folks. Get your money out of the stock market and get into something, a hard asset that's going to weather the storm and in the right asset class, particularly like workforce housing, where they, when things get rough, the people in the luxury apartments move to the class B and then the Bs move to the Cs. But anyway, if you guys are interested in hearing our members only talk for part one, open the kimono again. You can go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash club, sign up there. But, uh, but yeah, like I think every situation is a little bit different and it's not one or the other high equity growth deals or preferred equity or T-bills. Every situation is different. And as I'm writing in my next book, it depends on where you are in the financial journey. And I'll just be frank. It's where your net worth is. If you're under a million dollars net worth, I don't know why you're listening to this channel, right? But if you're about a million to $2 million, you need to keep moving. You got to go after equity. You can't really just sit on cash. If you've got three, $4 million plus, then yeah, maybe you could to some extent, but let's get to know each other, have, have a quick Zoom call. Uh, if you guys haven't done that yet, that's a complimentary call for people who are new to the investor group. But yeah, thanks for listening, folks. And we will see you guys next week. Hopefully, the, uh, we'll see probably on May 5th, if you, all you guys are still here after Cinco de Mayo, we'll talk about the Fed announcing the next interest rates. My guess would probably be a quarter point on this time. Bye.